Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness, and opportunity in VFX, animation, and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects, animation, and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. Hi, Simon here. On this special episode of the Access VFX podcast, we come live from last week's launch of QVFX. QVFX, or Queer VFX, is a new inclusive LGBTQI plus community hub where both our VFX staff and aspiring talent can access information, events, mentorship and support. The event took place on the evening of Thursday the 27th of June during Pride Month and was a truly wonderful evening that included a lively panel discussion, great conversations, and of course, drag queen bingo. I had the absolute pleasure of chairing the panel that included VFX professionals, Sarah Deschott, senior digital paint artist at ILM, Dennis Jose Francois, joint head of 3D animation at Jellyfish Pictures, Kat Seal, character animator at Studio AKA, Siraj Harrington Odedra, VFX supervisor at The Mill, and Pauline Hamilton, head of people at Blue Zoo Animation. Big thank you to our panelists, Framestore for hosting, Foundry for sponsoring, ILM for the bingo prizes, and of course, the amazing Lady Gala for the bingo. Enjoy episode 10 of the Access VFX podcast, and a happy pride to all of our listeners. By way of an introduction, I want you guys just to kind of introduce yourselves, obviously, and talk about your journey to where you are now in your career. Um, Hi, I'm Sarah. Uh, I'm from New Zealand, if you can't tell by my horrible, horrible accent. Um, I started off as a runner at Winner Digital. Uh, So I ran while I was finishing a fine arts degree, and there were spaces opening to learn how to do paint and roto uh, for The Hobbits. So I did a couple of years there and then decided to come to London. I spent eight months at DMEG, having, <laughs> <laughs> um, having absolutely no idea how to work as quickly or as succinctly as you do in London. Um, so I had to get a wriggle on and then have been at ILM, I think for nearly four years now. I think I may have been the first female artist at ILM. Um, and have been have called at home ever since. Hi everyone, I'm Sid. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm English, although I am from Indian heritage. Um, uh, I studied uh, 3D animation in South Wales, uh, and then I was at Escape Studios for a very short while before they put me in touch with The Mill. And I've been at the mill ever since, so I've been there for 13 years now. And well, I, just, I know it's ridiculous, it's completely mad to be there, but at one place, to be in one place for that long, rude. Uh, <laughs> it is mad to be in one place for that long, but I actually, I totally love it there. And I, I'm a VFX supervisor there now. Hi, I'm Pauline. Um, I'm the head of people and talent at Blue Zoo. I... <laughs> I have done the people and development type stuff in the creative industries, I'm old, for over 25 years. Um, So I've worked in, I've worked in art and design, I've worked in craft, I've worked in literature, I've worked in architecture, and now I work in animation. I know this sounds really cheesy, but I really, really love it. It's my favourite out of all of them. 
Um, and I've been at Blue Zoo for two years. Um, and uh, yeah, I know, and I absolutely, I absolutely love it. My name is Kat, um, so I'm a character animator, so nowhere near as senior as any of these guys. Um, and I studied at uh, the Arts University Bournemouth, which is like the other university that nobody's heard of next to Bournemouth University. Um, uh, my first job was in France, but then I quickly moved to London. Uh, I worked at Framestore for about cumulatively about two years and since then I've been around all the London studios I've worked in a variety of different types of animation so I've worked in kids TV and VFX and currently I'm working in uh, feature animation uh, so I'm at Studio AK at the moment uh, working on projects that is currently undisclosed but will be very exciting I'm sure of it I should note that Kat's bio on the event writer for the longest because the amount of companies you work for. I just had to name them all. Yeah, so yeah. Been at Dineg as well, so yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, that's me. Uh, my name is Dennis Jose Francois. I'm 1,549 years old. <laughs> I've worked in CG for 400 years. Um, one of the things I said was a lie. Um, I started, my career started in the late 80s. Uh, I really started in pre-press uh, in a time where there wasn't really a CG industry and because anyone who worked in pre-press and dealt with complex print files was considered to be quite savvy in that kind of thing. I ended up as a flame artist in like the early 90s, um, but I really wanted to do CG, so I sort of clawed my way into the 3D room in the mid-90s and that's where I've stayed ever since. Um, and now I'm at Jellyfish. I've been at Jellyfish for longer than I'd care to mention, made of 3D for the animation di division specifically, and I take care of the full CG animated uh, TV series and features, and a lot of pipeline stuff too. So, Thank you. And I'm happy in my job. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, um, thank you guys. Um, so uh, we had a really interesting conversation outside, actually, Dennis and I, talking about this kind of panel, because I was quite nervous about sharing a panel that isn't about creativity and visual effects and the work. You know, it's the first panel that I've shared that's about um, sexuality or LGBT, and even Dennis said he's used to you know, talking and speaking volumes about character modeling and, and, and the craft, right? So this is a very sensitive subject, and I promise to treat it as sensitively, but as entertaining as possible. Um, but the, my first question was really around the word queer, because, you know, uh, straight off the bat, when we formed this committee, group, whatever we call it, straight off the bat, and again, Sarah, you said QVFX. You know, there was no conversation. There was not even, a, you know, everybody just agreed it worked. But I wanted to kind of explore with the panel what the word kind of queer means to you. Because I've, I've, I've spoken to a few people in my friendship network, and they're like, queer, can you say that, you know? So over to you guys. Who wants to take this? Um, I'm, I'm like Dennis, I'm quite old. So um, it was very interesting for me when I was thinking about being on this panel uh, because I have known and been around and been friends with uh, LGBTQI people since I was 12 or 13 years old. And I'm old, so I remember when queer was a terrible word and people would not use it. Um, I was born and brought up in Glasgow and I remember at that time when I was young I knew older gay men who wouldn't go to gay bars because it had been illegal. So even though you could go to a gay bar, they wouldn't go. Um, and you gay men, older gay men who spoke Polari still to that day as, as a, a way of communicating um, because that's what they had learned to do. So 
I, I was, was not comfortable with the word queer at all. I've come to realise that queer is actually a very, um, it's a very energetic word and it can, it, it sort of can jump over binary definitions. So I've come back round to the fact that I think, yeah, queer is a great word, but I totally respect people who say to me that they don't like it and they don't want it to be used. I totally yeah. respect it. For me, it was a really interesting one because um, lesbian, gay, trans, bi, intersex, like these are all really specific labels and there seems to be, yeah, in the long acronym, that there seems to be a bit of a hierarchy that goes with it. Like some people, uh, even, even in the queer community, um, struggle with bisexuality or intersex or asexuality and with creating this group what I wanted was to create a space where there was no hierarchy um, and anyone who wasn't a, like a, a hard cis heterosexual could be welcome if uh, you know anywhere on the Kinsey scale that you fall you are bloody welcome and for me, queer was, it was it's like an umbrella term, and it, it is, it, it can be really confronting, and I think there's importance in that too, because if you say queer and somebody has a natural reaction to that, it gives you a bit of a conversation point, it gives you a starting point to go somewhere, and the point of this group is to go somewhere, you know, is to celebrate, but it's also to understand where we've come from, and what it costs, and who it costs, and how grateful we are that we, we have something like this. So for me, the queer VFX or QVFX, which is sort of, a, 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 it's easier to put on a pin. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it was kind of fundamental to what the idea behind the whole thing was. And it's how I feel. Yeah. I, I identify as queer because some days I'm a little bit gayer. <laughs> I love that. So it's you know, a true conversation, so it's what we're doing now, right? Thank you, sir. I sort of, I completely agree. I think that the, uh, using the word queer and uh, like uh, it's quite empowering because it was an insult. Like certainly, like, like you were saying, it was certainly a, an insult in like a playground insult when I was in school. Uh, and it's quite empowering to be able to take that back and be like, yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, um, so I, I, I'm totally embracing the fact that yeah, that is like a, it is a nice casual term. But un inside that umbrella, like you say, there are other many other terms so I would I identify as gay um, and to come back round to sort of answer your original question you were kind of saying like what does it mean to you to um, to identify as as queer I identify as gay um, and so what does that mean to me it, it's like a, a, two things I suppose it's a gigantic part of my life, and also it's not really that important at all. It's just like, it's kind of a bit of both. It's like, it's like, thanks. Uh, it's like, if I asked you, what does it mean to you to be heterosexual? How would you answer that? Yeah, I've, it's not something I think about day to day, but then I guess I live in a world of assumed privilege being a heterosexual white middle class man. Don't have to clap that, that's terrible. <laughs> terrible human being. Boo! <laughs> Uh, so I had to assume, but I, I'm assuming I'm probably the youngest here on the panel, probably. <laughs> um, and so I'm 27. Um, and within, <laughs> within my... <laughs> within my sort of, like, 
peer group and the community that I have, um, the word queer has been the go-to to describe my friends' identities. And I think the reason for that is that it, like you said, it's an umbrella term. It includes every person who has ever felt othered by the norm, the kind of like assumed norm of society. Um, I personally use queer to describe myself because it uh, encompasses not only my sexual identity, but my gender identity. Um, I feel like I sort of fall sort of in the middle, sort of, sort of. And so it kind of is an all-encompassing term that sort of describes me in one word, and that's why I use it um, personally. And I think it's great that this, uh, this initiative has chosen to use that word because I think it does uh, accept that not everyone falls under the same umbrella and everyone can use queer who feels comfortable using the word queer. Um, yet at the same time, I feel like, yeah, there is a history to it. Um, personally, I've never experienced that history um, and it feels like a good, good word for me to use. So, yeah. so, so like Pauline, I'm old enough that in my generation, queer was definitely a derogatory term. And within my ethnic community, so especially on the Caribbean side of my family, that would definitely be a derogatory term. Um, however, to me, it means odd or unusual. And I like that, because I am odd. I am unusual. Who wants to be normal? I don't, you know? So actually, I don't mind. When I saw that this event was called QV Effects, my initial impulse was, oh, that's a bit, you know? But then I'm like, hey, why not? You know, so yeah, so I'm I'm kind of fine with it. To me, it just means I'm different, yeah. and it doesn't necessarily mean it anymore in a negative way. It used to be, you know, thrown at you negatively, yeah. um, and it's good to be able to take the word back. Yeah, to right? right? yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Dennis. I clearly have the faulty microphone. Bringing it back to kind of work and visual effects and obviously our visual effects community. Um, how has sexuality or your sexuality affected your career, if it has affected your career? In, in a way, it hasn't. I don't think it has personally. But then I started to think about it and I talked to my, my partner about this and we sort of uh, discussed it. And I wonder if the reason why I feel like it hasn't is because... Uh, my personal uh, expression sort of feel, it sort of fits in the middle of both male and female, so I can kind of get away with I can kind of fit in the male spectrum. I can fit into that group of people as well as I can fit into the uh, female group of people, um, and this has a lot of advantages in an industry that is uh, still mostly male dominated. It means that I can sort of talk to people and kind of get on their level. Um, but then at the same time, I was sort of talking to my girlfriend about it, and we wondered if maybe the reason why I don't feel like actually I've had any negative discrimination is because the way that I look, the way that I present, almost acts like a filter to people, because they see me and they think, oh, there's a gay person. And if they have any particular negative feelings towards that, they kind of know to stay away. Okay. And so I've never had any negative experiences with people because they don't necessarily seek out to talk to me because they already know that they're not okay with it so they won't speak to me. Yeah. yeah. This is what I wonder. I mean I don't know this for sure, but there's certainly certain situations where I sort of look back on encounters and I'm like, huh, is that is that maybe why someone wasn't willing to talk to me and they just kind of walked away from the conversation. Um, okay. But at the same time I feel like um, 
it has had a lot of advantages. I think um, it tends to give me more confidence than maybe I would have had otherwise. Okay. I think I get um, a lot of positive enforcement from my sort of community, and so that kind of gives me the chance to sort of speak up where maybe I wouldn't necessarily already always felt comfortable speaking up. Um, so yeah, that's my experience, and I don't know what anyone else's experience is. Thank you, Kat. Anybody concur with that, or have a different take? I think, I think that I've been born into a generation of people who are bloody lucky. I know that a lot of the, a, a lot of fighting and a lot of work has been done to pave the way for me. So um, I'm kind of always aware of that. Um, at work, uh, I organise our Pride March. I have done for the last sort of three or four years. Um, and when I'm emailing out at work, I end my emails, hugs and kisses, more than appropriate, love Sarah, queen of the gays. And I mean, it can, it's, it's, it's potentially a little bit confronting, but at, at the same time, uh, after two years of this, um, we've had three people who have come out at work because they've seen that it is actually okay and people are openly and potentially the tiniest but aggressively gay in their workplace. Um, and for me, that's, that's a really positive thing. Um, I, I think I had, in New Zealand, I had more problems than I do in Britain. I think that uh, where I am right now, I'd be at my company or this country uh, I feel a lot, a lot more recognised and a lot more appreciated for being who I am. Be that that I'm a woman, that I'm you know from New Zealand, I'm foreign, that I'm gay, that you know I'm a bit lippy sometimes. Like there's a lot more sort of tolerance that I've found, and I, I feel quite grateful for that because I'm aware that not that many people have had that experience over the last. Fifty to four hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> and at the heart of that is there. I mean, there's a theme of kind of ownership there. You know, like whether it be your email signature or we talked about reclaiming words. And you know, is that at the heart of it? Do you think? The... I I think that bravery is really important. I think that to be the tip of the arrow, no matter what arrow it is, is sometimes difficult, but necessary. Like if my slightly aggressive email signature can lead the way for someone who's not as um, aggressive or twatty, twatty, thank you, love. Uh, if, if, I can, if I can be the barrier that lets other people slip through, I think that's a bloody good thing. Like, I've done enough work and I've kind of tried to herald in as much change as I can. Like, I'm happy to be that the tip of that arrow because the whole arrow is going to go through. So I think I think it is really important, you know. So it's not particularly for myself because I'll be quite happily gay at home, yeah. um, watching Netflix with my cats. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, there, there is still work to be done. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to deny that. I think the question for me is interesting because you said about what effect has your sexuality had on your career, and. I don't think so much my sexuality than that fully because I come from a privileged point of view, but my sex has had an effect on my career. So I trained to be a lawyer. Um, I didn't go through the whole training to finish being a lawyer because in Scotland at that time, if you went into legal practice, they could tell you what to wear as a woman. 
and I decided I wasn't. <laughs> Nobody told me what to wear since I was five, so I wasn't about to start when I was twenty-five. Um, so, but, so I think my sex has had a, the sexism that I was on the receiving end of the misogyny um, had an effect on my career because it changed my career path, but it also made me incredibly determined to use whatever influence I possibly had at whatever point I was at in my career to, to make a difference. Whether it was for women or, or whatever it was for, that, that it was my absolute responsibility to play my part in making a difference to that. So I think that's it's not my sex, it's, my, it's not my sexuality, yeah. it's my sex, I think that's had a... Relevant answers, yeah. for sure. Thank you, Pauline. Sid, Dennis? Um, so, at first, my, my first thought was, this has not had an impact on my career. Um, but when I was speaking with my boyfriend about it, he's, he said, well, what about Japan? So, have I got time to tell a little story? Go on then. Right, so, 2008, I went to work uh, to run an animation studio in the north of Japan. It was actually, I didn't know it when I went out there. But when I got there, I found that it was actually owned by a very extreme Christian cult who were uh, <laughs> misogynistic, homophobic, you name it. And it took me a little while to figure it out. Uh, now, they weren't Japanese. It was an American-owned company. And the, the small sort of senior management were American, but everyone else was Japanese. And one day, one of the Japanese, one of the modelers, Suguru-san, he came up, up to me and he's like, you know, uh, you know, we kind of all know about you and you really should not really flaunt it because people will get sent home. Funnily enough, to... Uh, American girls who were working at the company had been sent back to the USA on suspicion of being lesbians. They weren't. They just they'd spent time together, and um, <laughs> just as friends, right? And they were sent home. So um, I had to make the decision: should I stay or should I go? And I thought hmm, I'm going to take their money, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I so I sort of stayed for a while. But in the end, I realised it was an untenable situation. Um, and I decided to leave, and I think I fooled them the whole time. I didn't feel right hiding. I'd never had to hide before, and this was relatively recently, since only 10 years ago. Um, and then when I left, uh, they took me out for dinner to thank me for the work that I'd done. So I sort of, and this was with the senior, the owners of the company, so I said to them, you know, you know, you guys have got, you brought people from all over the world, how do you filter people to make sure the right kind of people work here? And they said, oh yeah, you know, we're very good at it. We'd never get caught out by stuff. I said, really? You know, because I know you're quite religious. What if, uh, you know, for instance, uh, say a gay guy wanted to work here, and they said, well, we would, you know, all gladly take him in, him in and show him a better way. Oh. And I was like, right, okay. So what about uh, what about bisexual? And they said, ah, and everyone went quiet. And I went, well, what's wrong? And they said, like, bisexuals, they're the ushers of the devil. <laughs> and I was like, what? And they said, yes, they knowingly lead people from one side to the other. And I was like, that is the best thing anyone's ever said about me. <laughs> And uh, and you know and I sort of, and, and I never said anything and I left and I went back and, but that's the only time and it was extreme I just think it's a funny story yeah. I just uh, it's, I've never outside of that experienced anything you know yeah. yeah so when you left did you tell them I think they probably started to work it out I mean everybody <laughs> in the company knew so uh, you know 
signature usher of the universe. Shit this. I have introduced myself as the usher of the universe. It's not a great term. It's brilliant. It's awesome. I want that. Amazing. Thank you. I don't have to follow that now. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Um, Sid. Did you talk about? You have talked about. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, no, you have. Of course, so. I mean, we don't. We don't have to go through everybody, but I think it's important to include yourself. I think. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Time's ticking. Isn't it about inclusion? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I think uh, like a, like a lot of the people here, the, uh, my knee-jerk reaction to answering this question, yeah, just, has it affected your career? Was no, of course, it's totally cool to work at the mill. But well, yeah, it is. It's totally cool to work at the mill, and yeah, they are very inclusive. But what I would say is that there definitely, there had like a long time ago there was like a there, there was a, a culture of like a boys club, and it was hard to penetrate that. And I was like, for the first three years when I was when I was working at the mill, I I, I didn't come out. I mean, I'm I'm thirty, nearly thirty six now. Oh my god! Uh, but for so I joined the mill when I was twenty two-ish, something like that. And so for the first three years, I didn't really want to come out because it was quite like boys clubbish. And I thought if I came out, then I, people wouldn't, people would treat me differently or they wouldn't give me cool projects like I was getting or any of that kind of thing. So it was like, it, it was a, a bit difficult, but that was like what feels like a long time ago now. And I don't feel like that is so much mm. of a thing, but it did, it was definitely something yeah. that was there in the back of my mind, but also some of my own insecurities about being gay. Cause mm. I only came, I came out for the first time to my friends when I was 18. So it's a, it, I don't feel like it's really affected. Mm. I don't feel like it's affected my career. My career, it certainly doesn't now. Okay. So on the back of that then, um, Kat, you talked about uh, your you know, queer community and people around you. I mean, it's another question to the group, and not necessarily just to Kat, but um, how has your, your network of, of, of uh, your queer network supported you or helped you during your career? So rather than you know, your sexuality affecting your career, actually, if any, again, if any, it might not have, but you know, the people around you, how have they supported you over the years? And that's a question to everybody again. It's, it's an odd, it's an odd thing to think that like there's this queer network, it's like this invisible force that's kind of like yeah. helping you along your career. I think that, I mean, certainly after I came out and being in this industry for as long as I have, that you can, you know, there are certainly other people who are out in the industry and like way more senior than you who can help you along in, in that path. And there definitely has been uh, a few figures where I've kind of looked up to them and gone, wow, that's totally fine to be gay. Like, and it, it just just having that alone is helpful. It just it, just to feel comfortable that there are senior figures out there in this industry in our you know doing doing mm -hmm. what we do. It's it's just a gigantic comfort. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. I Thanks, feel sir. like the queer community that I have helped me be much better at my job. Um, they helped, like they helped to educate me. They're a sounding board. They don't mind if I ask them really stupid questions. Um, they don't mind if I ask them what could possibly be inappropriate questions. Um, so they, so they really helped me in that way. Um, they've helped me be better dressed, um, <laughs> listen to better music, uh, but I, I really, really appreciated yeah. that, that 
ability to be able to ask those questions and to be able to be to be better at what I do. What I would define as my queer community is mostly, but not exclusively, but mostly uh, not involved in the animation industry. Mm -hmm. um, I have friends who work in theatre and psychology and research. Um, and in a way, I kind of like the fact that I have people who aren't connected to the animation industry that I can go to with my questions and concerns and ask them how things work in other industries and other communities. Um, and that's kind of nice. Um, I kind of go to them when I think that I've kind of been wronged in some way. If someone sort of treated me a little bit off and I'm like, guys, is this cool that this has happened? Yeah. And almost always they'll be like, no, that's not cool. Like, you should say something about this. Um, or at least not accept it in the way that maybe I would just previously have just been like, oh, okay, I just guess that's the way it works. Um, so yeah, it's helped me in that way to give me the confidence to stand up for myself and not accept. Um, when I talk about this, I'm mostly talking about in terms of, uh, to be honest, in terms of gender stuff, uh, as opposed to sexuality, um, people who maybe aren't quite as okay with the way that I present. Um, but at the same time, I do have friends who are in the queer community, who are in animation, and whenever I'm approached with someone saying, do you know someone who's available for a job? The first person that comes to my mind is someone in that community, because I think, uh, if I know someone who's like a straight cis dude who can do the job, or I know someone who's a queer person who can do the job just as well, I'm more likely to recommend them because I think it's important that we give each other the opportunities to sort of infiltrate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that I have a queer network, so to speak, but in what did surprise me working at Jellyfish five years ago when I came back to the company as to what the percentage of gay men in on a particular production was very, very high. It was almost 25% at one point. Um, and also previously to that, when I worked at Prime Focus, I was also quite surprised at the number of gay men in the company. A few of them who are here now. Big up yourself, big up yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, that was very encouraging to me. Um, but I wouldn't say that we had a network, yeah, so to speak. However, doing this, one of the things I did want to do was kind of wanted to sit here and show that, well, you know, you can be head of something in this industry mm -hmm. and be, you know, queer and be black. You know, anyone who says their color or their gender or their sexuality has got in their way, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen because it definitely happens, but you can definitely step around that mm -hmm. and work your way past it. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to, yeah. to be here because, uh, Thank you. Can we call it the rainbow ceiling? I don't know. Oh, I like that. The rainbow ceiling. There isn't one as far as I Yeah. Thank you, Dennis. That's a really good shout. Um, anybody wanted to add on add to that? So I was going to do some questions from the audience. I was going to go walking into the audience with my one mind. Come down. I'll be brave, be bold. Okay. We got any hands up over there? Sorry, this is for you, um, Jose. Um, I I thought it was interesting that sorry, Dennis. You um, that. You didn't say anything in the Jap Japan story. You didn't, you know, counter it or anything. And you're saying it's possible to be gay and to be black and, and make it to a senior level. Is it because you haven't challenged it? Do you know? Do you think if you did challenge it, it would cause friction and, and make it, you know, word of mouth might get out? Or what is it? It's interesting. Yesterday, I, you know, I was having a chat about this with some colleagues at work. 
and I kind of joke, well, I've got to where I am by pretending to be straight and white. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, you're right, maybe I haven't challenged it. Uh, this is what we were speaking about, so I, actually, I started my career in Holland and Germany in the mid-90s, in the early mid-90s, and so I never really came out, because in Holland, there is no in to be in to come out. Um, it was just okay in a way that it's not like it's great that here and there we are we're a strong community and whatever but in places like you know Western Europe it's just a different mentality a different way of looking at it and I actually was quite surprised when I got to the UK that it was a thing or potentially was a thing and you know I had friends of mine say to me you've become a bit flamboyant <laughs> you know, and I'm like what <laughs> me no um, so yeah maybe um, I probably calmed myself down a bit uh, not to say I wasn't, you know, like, glancing around or anything, but uh, and maybe that's helped. Um, but uh, no, I've just never felt that it was an issue. I feel, I've always felt that my work or my personality spoke for itself. Um, I know it sounds a bit cliched, mm -hmm. but I do believe that's, that, that's possible. I, I'd like to think in our industry, everybody's quite smart and educated and sensible and can see past those things. Maybe in another industry, it wouldn't be the case, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm not sure. So you found that really funny. <laughs> Plus, we just add to that. Like maybe you didn't get to where you are now because you acted white and straight, but it might just be because you're really good at what you do. Well, there, there is that possibility. I mean, I've always said, as I said to, as I said to um, outside, I've always assumed that if something didn't go my way, my first port call would be my colour. Um, but I've never done that. I've never thrown the race card out there because I've just assumed that if I didn't do well or if I got you know, I've got something wrong, it's because I wasn't good. That's all. I've never, you know, called foul that way. And maybe that's a bit naive. Maybe I should have. That's the thing. Maybe I've been a bit blind to that. So. Thank you, Dennis. Who's got a question? There's a question over here. Probably Amy from ILM. I have a bit more of a reactive kind of comment to give. So to Dennis, hard for me to say. I grew up bisexual as a Christian in a church, so I completely know what it's like to kind of have that. But I just kind of want to say that actually oh, our core message really is about love and I really want it to be about love. And I think because I've had that hurt thrown at me, it kind of pains me to think that others have kind of been hurt by that. And I just want to say that um, there are people that are Christian that are gay or bisexual and it's hard to feel accepted. But there are there is a Christian network out there that feels what I feel and... I kind of want to make that more aware that there are, yeah, it does merge rather than there's a separation of kind of love and hate. And um, yeah, sorry that you had that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Any questions? Anyone at the back? Um, how do you think uh, we should react as um, queer people to working on, like, say, like adverts maybe for companies that have the best record around LGBT rights or film films or TV series that like don't necessarily betray like the themes around that in the best way like how do you navigate that and how do you think you sh uh, we should navigate that it's a great question who wants to take it I wish we'd had that question written down so we could pre, pre write our answers to say um, I I I guess this is a really personal answer, but um, if I was asked to work on a project with like a fast food chain that wasn't particularly ethical, like some on on my moral compass is where I would base that. If I was going to make a movie where there was um, a hate crime being committed, um, or you know someone who was queer was being beaten up, 
or and and it and it wasn't it wasn't a message that that you know wasn't going to get better or, or there wasn't sort of you know it wasn't a history or horror I I would refuse to work on it. Um, but I think that's a really it's, it's a great question, but it's also a really vague question. And I guess for like there there there's so many. Um, there's a word. I'm not there's some yeah. Um, so I guess. It, it, it depends on whether um, where it sits on your moral compass and what you will and will not accept, um, both as a member member of the LGBTQ family and, and as a person. So you have to make that call for you. Um, but yeah, that's a really really hard question, and I, w- I personally would have to really bloody think about that. Yeah. Can I can I just say so I, going, going, sorry going back to that previous story? I knowingly worked for. A, people who were homophobic and I thought it was okay to take their money but in the end it got the better of me I was like no I can't do this I have to leave this isn't good enough I've got to be honest I wasn't brave enough to stand up and say you know what are you doing I sort of sculpted away really but it is difficult you're not working on a Chick-fil-A though. are you? (laughs) (laughs) by the way you you mentioned a fast food that's that's, that's the first thing that came to mind that you know sooner or later you're I mean, even if it wasn't an LGBT matter, you're going to come across something in advertising or film which is going to confront your own morals, and you've got to decide, you know, am I doing am I doing a job? Am I a professional? Or is this crossing my line? And only you can make that decision for your for yourself, really. Um, and I think everybody, you know, has come to that in life, you know, whether it's to do with colour or sexuality, or whatever. It's a tricky one. Um, it, in advertising, I in the 13 years that I've worked in post-production, I can't think of a single time that I've worked on a commercial that has an LGBT theme. It just doesn't ever seem to happen. Like Advertisers, brands kind of want to just like ignore it. It's not the mainstream unless it's... You know, sometimes it's Pride Month and then they want to, you know, sue all the LGBTQA horns. Um, but... Uh, I, if there is, I wouldn't. I would. I would. Always, I have in the past refused to do commercials on ethical grounds. And if that, if I felt like there was a commercial that was breaching my my ethics, then I would probably. I, I would absolutely say no. Um, but if there was the opportunity to work on something that was a very pro uh, queer rights, and I would jump at the chance. I would definitely put my name forward for that. I think anyone on the panel would. Sorry, it's me again. Um, when I was at DNEG, there was a really horrible Sasha Baron Cohen movie being made. Uh, and there was a certain sequence in it that was filth. Um, and thankfully, the producers and the production teams at DNEG were sensitive enough to say, if you don't want to work on this, you're not obliged to. Um, and so it's really interesting because I've only ever worked in film, so I, I can't answer for advertising and I wouldn't even begin to. But in something like film, I mean, the companies that we work for um, are sensitive and ethical and and, and, and enough to, to, to give you an opportunity to, have, to, to tag out. So, I mean, I have tagged out on a film um, and I've still not seen it. Yeah. Don't? 
So, uh, yeah, what an answer you got to that question. You can chair the next panel, mate. Right. Um, hi, this is a question based on my very personal circumstances, so it may not apply as much. But So when I started my like first day as an intern at a company, so very first day I had a brainstorm, and someone said a shitty idea, and someone replied to that bit saying, that's the gayest idea I've ever heard. To which I either decided for a whole year I was on my internship that I was just not going to come out at all. And it wasn't until I came back in a more senior role to, to that same company where I felt more comfortable talking about those sort of things. So my question is, how do you think it is easier to, uh, to approach these subjects when you're in more senior roles? And if so, how do we make it more approachable for those people in junior roles? And also, do you think it's better to start working at a company by saying, like, being open and honest, or, well, I guess it's personal circumstances, but, yeah. It's absolutely personal circumstances. You do whatever you feel comfortable with. Like, if you want to come out on day one, then do that. If you don't want to, then you don't have to. But, like, yeah, in regards to the, the meeting that you had where someone was like, that's the gayest thing you've ever had, whatever. Um, like, it's a tricky situation. And the, <laughs> the way that I deal with it now, and I, I feel like I can do this, because I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm really comfortable in my life, it's not a problem at all. Um, I was uh, I was in uh, Brighton for my neighbour's birthday of like a couple of months ago, and I didn't know I didn't really know any of her friends. And someone at the table we were having dinner, and someone at the table made a really anti like a transsexual gag, and I immediately was like, "That's not okay. This is 2019. We don't do that kind of shit right now." And a couple of people at the table applauded, and I felt kind of proud. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, it's like calling it out there and then, and just not allowing yeah. it, like fighting it, fighting it. That it's still a fight. It's annoyingly, it kind of still is. Yeah. Um, but for me, the way that I deal with it, and it's not the way that maybe everyone else is comfortable dealing with it. But for me, it's like I'm dealing with it there and then at the time. Thank you, Sid. <laughs> Any more questions for our lovely panel? Because I've got a question. Thank you, Harry. Cheers. Um, Probably Blaggett. Um, okay, so um, there's this whole concept about uh, being an ally. Um, Pauline kind of touched on it earlier. You know, what do you think is important to consider when being an ally? And what responsibility do you think you have when considering yourself as an ally for your queer colleagues? Um, I, I take the, this responsibility incredibly seriously, so this might be a bit of a serious answer. Um, but I think, I think we have a real responsibility that involves education and learning, so educating yourself, finding out more about community, more about different aspects of the community, not just assuming you think you know what it's like, that you really have to, you have to find out that information. I think that you, as an ally, you have to be really visible and you have to advocate and you have to challenge, always challenge. If you feel comfortable doing it and if you don't feel comfortable doing it, work out why and then try and find a way to make yourself feel comfortable doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think wherever you have any opportunity to influence, I'm really lucky, you know, I'm the head of people in talent uh, in the animation studio, I have got quite a lot of opportunity to influence. 
not everybody does, but if you can identify those opportunities that you have to influence, then, then do it. And I think the other thing, and it's what you were talking about, Dennis, I think is to really understand the sort of intersectional aspect of what we're talking about, being black and gay, or being Christian and gay, or being Muslim, and you, like, it's not, it's not just as simple. It's really, really complicated, and we have to have a lot of resilience. This is a, like, this is a long fight. People have been fighting for a long time, and we've made some amazing leaps, you know? Like, uh, Asian same-sex marriage, but we've got some real fights still ahead of us. People being stoned to death. I mean, so we have to be resilient. To be resilient, you have to be able to have a party so that you can have a good time, <laughs> so you can have a rest, and then we're back on the fight. So the, the, this started with a conversation with our chief exec, who's actually in the room. Uh, so I got invited to her office, and she sat down and she said, right, the LGBT group is, uh, like, we've got pride, yep, cool. What else? What's next? And I kind of went, hmm. And she said, go away and think about it. Go away and think about it. And as I was leaving the room, the last thing she said to me was, Sarah, think big. And that think big, those words, that opportunity without caveats, without an agenda, without an assumption that she thought that she knew what we needed, the, the question, the, the putting it out there, the hand out to ask what we needed. Uh, she's a very happily married woman, so uh, to a man. Um, so she doesn't know what we need. I'm going to assume happily. <laughs> Live stream, Sue. Live stream. <laughs> but, and, and, so, and so I went away and I had a conversation with Amelia. And I came back and I went, right, I'm going to start a, a, a global change. VFX, we're going to create a family that travels around the world. And instead of... Oh, yeah. She went, I know who you need to talk to. So then I spoke to Tamsin, and then Tamsin talked to Steve. And we're all in this room because that woman said, think Sorry. big. I look like a Steve. Did you say Steve? Yeah, sorry. Steve, Simon, Simon. Terry Patel. Live stream, Sarah, live stream. <laughs> um, but um, so it, it's, not, it's not even our community opening the doors, it's other people opening the doors for us to walk through. Like, as an opportunity presented as an opportunity taken, you know? So our allies are as important to us as our message, as our history, as our path. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, one question and you get a room full of 200 people drinking free beer, you know? <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Good to see I think vigilance is important. Like, um, what I mean is, especially if you're in a senior role, to be observant of the people around you, because you may have junior people, less uh, introverted people who might be struggling, or who might be getting picked on, or bullied, or uh, are just having a hard time. And it's up to us to, if you see that happening, don't let it happen. You know, you don't necessarily have to kick off and make a big deal about it, but being supportive 
and stepping in when you can, mm -hmm. helping, because very often we don't help, we wait for someone else to help. Um, that is really, really, really important because people might think they're alone, they might, they know. I've seen it happen where one person will, you know, the, the incident that you spoke about a minute ago is a good example of that, that, that affected you for a whole year. And there might have been somebody else who could have stepped in and said, that's not okay, you know, and, you know, but, but didn't. And we, we don't want to be those people. We want to be able to step in and say, no, that's not okay. And you need to know that actually you don't need to hide. That's the point. You don't need to hide. So... And the other thing I think is is that if you don't feel if you don't feel confident to do it, what you think something should be done, then come and speak to your equivalent of me so I can go and kick some arse. <laughs> okay. I feel that's a suitable place to end on kick some arse. I don't know there we go end of another access vfx podcast we really hope you enjoyed it to find out more about what we discussed, our mentoring programme and events we're at, then head over to our website at www.accessvfx.org and follow us on social media. Big thank you for listening and until next time, bye.